Pop Culture Affidavit Episode 56, Summer 2015, Part 3, Geek Out, again! Don't wanna live as an untold story Rather go out in a blaze of glory I can't hear you I don't fear you I live now cause the bad dialogues Dodging bullets with your broken past Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around I'm wrapping up my coverage of the summer of 2015 with my annual Baltimore Comic Con episode. I've got some day of footage and all the usual things I bring to an episode like this, as well as a couple of reviews. But before I even get to that, I have email my first email is about the softacular and was from back in episode 53 and it's from professor allen who's part of the relatively geeky network of podcasts and that includes the quarterman podcast and the short box showcase he writes tom your comments on softacular songs like into the night remind me of a bit that adam carolla does about the fact that there are enough of these creepy songs to make a k-tell theme album along the lines of Freedom Rock and Summer Cruise and maybe something like Underage Classics or Statutory Rape Rock. In addition to the ones that made it to the softacular, songs of this compilation could include Young Girl Get Out of My Mind and I Saw Her Standing There. She was just 17, if you know what I mean. Yes, Mr. McCartney, the DA, and the judge are pretty sure they know what you mean. If the album needed a few extra tracks, we could mine the closely related Let's Have Sex Again When My Band Is In Town Next Year genre. Grand Funk's We're an American Band and Skinner's What's Your Name are leading examples. Adam Carolla also wonders what the session musicians were thinking when they arrived to record with Benny Mardones as he breaks into She's Just 16 Years Old. Does the bass player raise a hand and question the wisdom of the lyrics? You know, Benny... 18-year-olds can be hot, too. Is Mardones insulted by this questioning of his artistic vision? Or, worst-case scenario, maybe 16 is the age Mardones and the record company agreed to after intense negotiation? What if this is the compromise? You can see them hypothetically bargaining across the boardroom table. No, really, we won't release a song about you and a 13-year-old. She has to be 20. He goes to 14, the record company holds firm at 18, but finally they crack and we end up with, she's just 16 years old. At least when Steely Dan recorded their creepiest song in 1980, they had the foresight to call it Hey 19. Certainly the lyric, look sure looks good, skate a little lower now is distressing, but at least she's legal. Thanks for letting me ramble. Your music episodes are regularly excellent, by the way. Keep up the good work, Professor Allen. Thank you for the email, Professor Allen. And you or Adam Carolla is right. There's definitely plenty of songs out there that I would qualify under statutory rape rock and put that on that collection. Tiffany covered I Saw Her Standing There, changing the pronoun to a hetero-friendly hymn back in the late 80s. But I think she was 16 at the time or 17, so... She kind of gets a pass there. Brian Setzer and the Stray Cats uh, with their She's Sexy and 17, they may not get a pass. (laughs) Maybe I should do a skis rock countdown at some point. My next email is entitled You, Stella, and That Other Guy and is about the first part of my three-part summer recap. It's from Chris Franklin, who is one half of the Supermates podcast. He writes... 
Hi, Tom. I enjoyed all three of your crossover episodes with Stella and Shag, despite the latter's presence. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you just can't help these things. Some interesting discussion on this one. I knew some of the films. I remember taking one of Cindy's nephews to see Rockadoodle that Stella mentioned. But I was a big fan of the state in college. Much like you, my friends and I went around yelling, I'm going to dip my balls in it as well. It still comes up from time to time. Now, i got to go back and listen to your soft rock episode, which I missed. I'm not going to lie. I like some of that stuff, but my musical tastes are pretty schizophrenic. My iTunes library defies description. Looking forward to hearing about your Disney World trip. We're nuts for the place. We're planning a third trip within the next year or so. Great show. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast and the Power Records podcast. Chris, my iTunes library also defies description or classification, to be honest. Um, It is eclectic, I guess is the best word for it. My CD collection is the same way. And I was amazed at how many songs that were on the Softacular I didn't have to go out and find because they were on various... 1980s compilation CDs I've owned over the years. And as I said, I have Air Supply's greatest hits on vinyl. Glad you liked the episode, though, and I'm glad you liked the episodes with Stella and Shaq. Uh, one of the behind-the-scenes things about that episode, and we, we did mention this on one of the parts, is that the three of us actually hung out for quite a while before that. Uh, we got coffee at Barnes & Noble, and we just didn't record the conversation, which was a great conversation, but... By the time we sat down to record at the Mexican place, um, we'd kind of gotten rid of any of the jitters or awkwardness that was between like people who have always talked but never met in person. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It honestly was a lot of fun, despite the fact that Shag was there. Uh, Stella and I found ourselves regretting, actually, afterwards, um, regretting the fact that back in last October when we had this interminable meal at Chili's, um, why we didn't hit record with Mike and Rachel Bailey. It's just a rookie mistake, I guess. Um, Next time, next time you guys make your way up and next time, maybe if you roll through again, Mike, uh, we'll do that. I do have two other emails. They're both about the DC Comics series. Um, I'm going to save them for another episode. Right now, what I'm going to do is take a quick break And when I get back, I'll have my coverage of the Baltimore Comic-Con. Sawete, my name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967-1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics, or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spalai, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. So this is my fourth Baltimore Comic-Con episode. It's my fourth year attending the convention. Something I've discovered over these four years is that it can be tough to do repeatedly do an episode on the same topic, especially since when you have an event like this and you do an event like this every year, it becomes old hat in a way. I've done, I've done panels, I've done quick takes with creators, I've done some commentary, and I got a little bit of that here. In fact, uh... On my other podcast, In Country, uh, which covers the NOM, I have a quick bit with Jimmy Palmiotti and mention of conversations I had with Wayne Van Zant and Jeff Isherwood uh, about the NOM 
uh, in an upcoming episode. So stick around for that. That, sh- that particular episode will be out probably in about three or four weeks. Uh, anyway, the thing about the, this convention this year that made it different than any of the other ones is that um, aside from the fact that it was later in September uh, instead of like right around Labor Day, which I think worked out better because of the weather. Uh, the weather was great. It was gorgeous, and it was just really, really comfortable. But but anyway, um, the thing about this con- convention that I didn't that was different was that I actually never intended to go. Um, my intent this year originally was to skip Baltimore Comic Con and go to Eternal Con, which is up on Long Island in uh, the middle of June, and it was the site of a huge Two True Freaks meetup that was spearheaded by Paul Spataro. And if you've been listening to the Two True Freaks podcast over the course of the summer, you've heard some stuff here and there from that. And there was Paul, Chris Honeywell, Chris Tyler. Um, I think J.D. Weeder was there. Uh, a few other people, a number of people um, came up. It was a big meetup. And unfortunately, I had to skip it because the Wednesday before that meetup, I closed on my house. And so we moved. And I was still unpacking as of that Friday. So there was just no way I was going to make it up to Long Island, which is a bummer. So maybe next time. I definitely, definitely would love to do that. Anyway, by the time Eternal Con came and went, I resigned myself to taking a year off entirely. Like, you know, maybe I'll just skip the con this year and I'll go next year. Then I get an email from the convention about Marv Wolfman being added to the guest list. Wolfman is was a bucket list creator for me. I know that sounds odd to some people, but there are certain creators that you've always wanted to meet. And Wolfman definitely was. And the funny thing is, is that I gave Stella my copy of New Teen Titans 38, the Who's Donna Troy issue, for him to sign at San Diego because he never is never on the East Coast, really. He hasn't been in Baltimore in years. So, And she got it for me, and I was like really psyched about that. So once I saw that, I was like oh, wow, that is awesome. And um, I jumped to the chance. I was like, all right, I'm going to try to get a press pass. And if I can't get a press pass, I'll get ticket, a ticket because tickets are not that expensive. So I went ahead and, and, and did that. And, and what's funny about the story is the place where I did that was while standing in line for the Tower of Terror in Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, what had happened was that um, Amanda and I had a fast pass to the Tower of Terror And according to my Disney experience at that moment, uh, there was a pretty short wait. It was around 20 minutes or so for the ride. So what we decided to do was get in the regular line, ride the ride, then get back off and get back onto the fast pass line where a fast pass was active. So ride, ride the ride twice. In theory, this is easy. Well, what happened was that the ride like partially broke down, like one of the elevators that took people up to the ride was broken. So there was a backup in the line and we ended up standing in line for about an hour so with more than an hour to kill, the two of us were messing around on our phones, checking email, and that's when I got the email about Wolfman. So I go on the Baltimore Comic Con website while standing in line, filled out the press pass request. By the time I got off the ride and checked my email um, while you know we were making a pit stop, there was an email from Randy at the con granting my pass. So that was pretty awesome. I got immediately excited eventually started planning and if you know me or if you followed me over the last few years you know I have a tendency to be a little too intricate with my planning a little too overwhelmed at first and uh, what I decided to do is just record a little bit of me planning for the convention and it's kind of like an in the moment look at my you know weird neurotic convention planning process so it's about Saturday night, it's the 19th, I'm about a week out from going to the convention, and I'm more or less in my spare in the office of the house, which is a spare bedroom, but there's no bed in here, it's just a desk and some bookshelves and that sort of stuff, so it's the office, and um, I have certain... um, expectations and things I go through any time I prep for a convention, I thought maybe doing a little bit of a segment on this would be a good one because I haven't done that before. But basically my, my general rule is that I will download and print out or print out and physically print out the guest list 
uh, for both Artist Alley and for, for featured guests. And the first thing I do is I go through it and I highlight all of the people who are going to be there. And then that I have stuff by just in general, um, do I have anything of theirs that might be worth signing? And then what I do is start narrowing it down based on essentially priority. You know, who do I really want to meet versus, you know, it doesn't really matter. Or do I have something of theirs that's like really worth signing or, um, is it just, well, I own this, so let me get it signed. So that's the first set of cuts. And the next set of cuts, which is where I am right now, I have my gray and orange Jansport messenger bag that I used for work for years until I got the leather one that I have. And that is where I keep my comics. And the the one advantage of, of going to a convention in Baltimore is that I just park a couple blocks away and I can walk over there and walk back. And I usually do that about the middle, middle of the convention um, to drop some stuff off in my car. But I have this rule. I will not bring with me more than I can carry in terms of getting things signed. Like my first year there... One of the first people I ever, the first person I ever had anything signed was uh, Larry Hama, and I was in line with him for him. And then later on for Simon, Walter Simonson, and Roger Stern, and a couple other people. And I had one, maybe two books, a couple of trades, right? And I was getting behind people who had like short boxes on one of those little hand carts that you that I saw at least to see like old ladies drag behind them when they were coming from the um grocery store and the you know and, and stuff like that and and I'm like that's a lot of effort to put into you know it's just it's just a lot so my my first instinct was has always been no you don't want to do that you don't want to be that guy. So, so I have the bag, I fill the bag. If, if it's too heavy, if I can't hold it in the bag, I do not take it with me. So that's when I start to prioritize. So what do I have on here right now? Well, I have, um, two, one of, one of the biggest reasons I'm going is because Marv Wolfman is scheduled to be there. I, Wayne Van Zant will be there. I have several issues of the NOM. I have, um, 43, which is one of the issues he talked about. Um, somebody who's also going to be there is Jimmy Palmiotti. And Jimmy Palmiotti is somebody who I have um, several issues of the Starfire series that he's doing with Amanda Connor. She's going to be there as well. I also have all of the, I have an entire run of the knob. He inked the first two Punisher storylines. It was one of his first comics jobs, so I'm going to take that with me and have him sign it. I have Batman number 416, which was written by Jim Starlin, um, that I'm going to bring with me as well. And let's see, I'm looking at a couple of issues of Warlord that I would like Mike Grell to sign because he's scheduled to be there. I have a few issues of the detective that I think Scott Hanna... Um, who is also a scheduled guest might sign. Um, I have a some firestorm from um, firestorm from John for John Ostrander. I'm gonna give J Jim Starlin my Death in the Family trade to sign. I have Batman number four hundred. Think I'm gonna set this one aside because I'm not seeing names that I really absolutely need to get signatures on so i'll put that aside but i have some suicide squad that i want john ostrander to sign i don't think roger stern is gonna be there so I'll, but i'll double check on that because i got a superman one i have this old issue of star slayer that ostrander wrote who did the artwork Probably nobody I recognized. Hillary Barta, Mark Nelson. Yeah, nobody I really recognize. I found this in a random box of comics that somebody gave me. Uh, so I might I might show this to a couple of people just because it's just this is a 
this is a, a rarity here. I have both books of Katusha, Girl Soldier of the Patriotic Great Patriotic War, uh, that I want Wayne Van Zant to sign. Um, I may have uh, some Who's Who stuff. Both Brendan and Brian Frame are going to be there for. I'm, I'm looking, just looking at this, all this, and I'm like, okay, I want Terry Moore to, to sign some of my Strange in Paradise trades. Um, but I might start cutting it down. Um, Mark Wade is going to be there again. I'm like, maybe I could have him sign Kingdom Come. Um, with Wolfman, I'm like, do I have him sign Crisis? I probably will have him sign my Crisis hardcover because um, Perez signed it a couple of years ago, but I have that really cool, that really cool um, history of the DCU hardcover that Shag gave me. Um, I've got Obama Cloud penciled Tom Palmer Inc. Star Wars. There's just a lot I want to bring with me. So what do I do? How do I break this down? Well, what I'll probably start doing is I'm going to print the list out one more time as more of a final list. And I'll kind of take a look at what I've got in this pile and, and say, do I really need to bring this? Because I've also got my book, Leaping Tall Buildings, which I've been collecting signatures in over the years. And Neil Adams is going to be there. And um, I'll have to see what his prices are on signatures because he is one of those people who does charge how much money do I want to spend on one person's signature? But I'm, but I'm looking at this. I'm like, you know, this is a really big pile. I don't know this, if this is going to fit in. So what do I do? Well, yeah, like I said, I'm going to start prioritizing. Who do I really want to meet? Who is my highest priority and who's that? So I'll probably check later in the week, right before I leave on Friday, um, on Thursday and maybe Thursday night, Wednesday, Thursday night into Friday, uh, so that I when I've pared things down and, and kind of give my game plan of what I'm going to do. And from there, it was really a matter of just heading up to my in-laws the night before the, the Friday night before uh, the con, although the con began on Friday, but I only attend on Saturday. And so we go up Friday night after work and then uh, I stay the night and then I get up early morning on Saturday and we I drive to Baltimore. I got no sleep the night before. I don't know if I overate or if it was just too warm or what. I could not get to sleep. So I'm working on like maybe an hour and a half, two hours of sleep, getting up at about 5.45, 6 in the morning, getting out the door at about 6.37 so that I can get up by 95. Um, in fact, once again, I arrived before anything was open. So I just kind of stood in line for my press pass until the press pass booth opened at um, eight, I think, and then I went over and sat in line for two hours, and then went in. But um, my energy level was low to start, but I was happy that I did get out the door and on time as planned. All right, so just to check in after my last thing, I meant to do another packing segment, but never got around to it. Um, I'm on the Beltway headed north toward I-95 and then toward Baltimore, so I should be there in about, oh, 40 minutes or so. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. The convention doesn't open until 10, but um, like in past years, I've made sure that I've left early, uh, not because... I want to be the first in line on the convention floor. Um, I have my press pass waiting for me. I can get that. No, because I want to avoid any and all issues with the traffic nightmare that is Washington, D.C. Um, and it looks like I've been able to more or less do that this morning. Not, not wood. Um, so, about, I think it was about Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night. I sat down in the living room, just took out my, uh, took my bag downstairs and went through all the books I had set aside and realized that, like, you know, they were sort of fitting into the, into the backpack and began just taking things out and deciding, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to get? Um, some of them, you know, like the, the Marv Wolfman stack got pared down, uh, I read his, um, went online and read his policy that he charges, he's, he's there for the area initiative, so any, any charging that he does for an autograph is going straight to charity, so I have no beef with that, and I also actually don't, don't mind the fact 
uh, that he's charging. And I appreciate the fact that he charges for autographs and posts that information online before you get there. Uh, that was one of the things. We got a couple of people last year where, you know, and they're not charging an enormous amount of money, uh, like Michael Golden or Mike Zach or those people. But, um, you know, you're like, oh, wait, I got to spend five bucks on a, on a signature. And it, it, at least now I can kind of pare things down to, like, what do I really want to get signed? Um, otherwise, uh, I, you know, once they release the convention floor map, I printed that out. And then when I get into the convention itself and I get to sit there for a while just waiting in line, I will probably take my red pen to it and duplicate what I did on the printout because, in the program because the program has a much clearer map. It's updated and it, and I can throw out all the papers that I've collected over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think I've printed out the guest list like three times uh, since June. So, um, it's out of service. I've done this drive so many times, I have the GPS going. Two reasons. One, I'm doing a new parking garage this year, so I just want to make sure that I go to the right parking garage. Two, Scott does it. Um, but anyway, what I've so what I've done is is you know I um, so I went through my usual list and I've got a big bag and um, haven't exactly mapped out what exact panels I'm going to go to. I'd like to go to more than one and. Um, like to go to more than one, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm meeting a friend for lunch at one o'clock, um, and I don't have, like, a time limit. I we kind of believe, like, when I'm probably around, like, five or so. The, uh, <clears throat> the one, the other one thing that the convention did this year is they partnered with a, um, just a, 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 an app, really, called Parking Panda, and this is an app that gives you prepaid access on events like this to parking garages. Uh, I don't know if it's just Baltimore-based. It's probably based in different parts of the country. So I got, um, usually I just park, would park at a, at a lot, a couple of, at a garage a couple blocks over it, and the price got up and it looked like it wasn't really um, available. So I found one a couple, about a block over and a block up, um, and for 15 bucks all day, which is, which is pretty sweet. So I, I've prepaid for my parking, um, and I'm a block up, block away from the convention center. Uh, so far, the weather looks like it's going to hold out, which is cool because it's going to be pouring down in Charlottesville today. And I am really looking forward to this. I think I've got some uh, really interesting people there. I've got a nice want list of comics and trades I'm ready to do. And uh, when you'll next hear me, I'll be on a convention floor either doing some reporting or talking to creator or something. So, of course, the big thing about going to a convention for me has been signings and shopping. And I recorded quite a bit of commentary on my drive home, but I did want to hit a couple of highlights before I shared that with you. First, I have to say that I was not disappointed when I finally met Marv Wolfman. I probably should have brought some stuff that was valuable. I have his entire run on the new Teen Titans and the new Titans, so I could have brought the first appearance of Deathstroke, the first appearance of Dick Grayson as Nightwing. I could have brought DC Comics Presents 26. Some of those are $30, $40, $50 books at this point, or at least I saw them on, on sale for that much. But I have this sentimental streak when it comes to bringing things to, for people to sign or just wanting them to sign kind of odd things as opposed to just kind of the usual. Um, Wolfman was charging 5 bucks a signature. Uh, the money was going to the Hero Initiative, so it was one of those cases where, you know, I'm giving money to charity for the signing, which was great. So what I brought it was stuff that was personally important to me. Um, I brought my copy of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was the hardcover edition from 1998, which George Perez signed back a couple of years ago. I brought the hardcover of History of the DC Universe that 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 guy who was on the podcast with Stella and I a couple of episodes ago, he had sent me that as a gift. So 
thanks again, Shag. Uh, the night, and I also brought the uh, Nightwing Who's Who profile page because I had Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, sign that uh, last year. And I have a galley copy of Deathstroke number 44. And then I had New Titans number 71. Now, New Titans number 71, um, which is the beginning of the Titans hunt, was my first ever Titans comic. I explained to, to Marv that I started liking contents. I started liking the Titans because of his Tim Drake storyline. And he was the first writer whose name I ever recognized. And he said it's probably because it's an odd name. And when you think about it, Wolfman is pretty memorable. But we talked about Nightwing for a little while. He said he loved that character. I told him how much I liked the character. And then he actually seemed genuinely amused by the Deathstroke galley. Uh, the reason for that, and the reason I have it, is is kind of a genuine reason. Um, back in the 1990s, I wrote a lot of letters to DC Comics, um, mostly the Titans books. And not all of them were published. But uh, as an effort to get more letters into the letter columns and perhaps to generate more sales for some of their flagging books, DC sent preview copies of certain issues to some of their fans. And I have two. I have Damage number one, and I have Deathstroke number 44. And uh, the Deathstroke number 44 was toward the end of that post-zero hour Deathstroke, the hunted storyline. And... What it all really is is just a photocopy of the issue of the penciled and ink pages, so before the coloring and everything, and it's lettered. And I, I not only did I keep it, but I kept the letter that it came with, it, the cover letter from Kerry Kowalski, who was an assistant editor. And um, Marv was like, who is that name? And I, and I said that the name was Kerry Kowalski. He said, oh, she was great. He had some really nice things to say about it. And that actually made me feel good because from what I've heard, he's not the biggest fan of his work in the 90s on the Titans books at, after a certain point. But it's um, so I'm glad I was able to at least get some like one kind of good memory out of them about that. Um, and so Marf Wolfman was very great, very nice. I got a picture with him, which is really, really cool. Another booth I visited was in Artist's Alley. Um, I, I kind of bummed around in there, looked at different people's stuff. Uh, I met Brendan and Brian Frame, who uh, were the artists on Volume 1 of The Waiting Place, and I got my complete Waiting Place signed, and hopefully one day I'll meet either Mike Norton or Sean McKeever, because that would be completely awesome. Um, I talked to Wayne Van Sant for a while. You'll hear that over on In Country. Uh, plus, I checked out the Kids Love Comics section. I got some Brett some stuff. I got a couple of great prints as well. One's this gorgeous print from an artist group called Mod Heroes that shows Superman holding up the World's Fair globe from New York. The other is a Wonder Woman print by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praised by be his name. And he signed that for Amanda. Uh, so that was really cool. So I'm going to have that framed so she can hang it up in her office. Um, I got quite a bit going, quite a bit in, uh, signed. Uh, John Ostrander, Bob McLeod... Um, trying to think of who else. Uh, I did not see Jim Starlin. The line was like way too long. Uh, Amanda Connor's line was incredibly long. I did get to talk to Cliff Chang briefly again. Uh, he was. I had brought a few Wonder Woman comics, but I also had this comic called Babyhead, which was a humor comic that I bought back at the 2002 Small Press Expo. And he was just like, "Oh wow." And he said the guy who created it, he'd have to mention it. He'll be like really pumped that I had it. And I said, yeah, I bought it at the 2002 Expo and I was SPX and I was um, flipping through it and it holds up so well. It reminded me a lot of Mad Magazine. Um, I may do, I was, I've been reorganizing my comics lately and I have all this indie stuff that is really obscure, like low print run SPX type of stuff that I may do an episode or two about at some point in the future because there's some great stuff in there that I'd love to reread. And Babyhead is definitely on that list. One of the big guests of the day uh, was Jules Pfeiffer, uh, who is a comics legend of a sense. He is quite old. He goes all the way back to the golden age. Uh, and someone I was only marginally familiar with to be completely honest with you because I'd only read the book The Great Comic Heroes The Great Comic Book Heroes and really nothing else by him um, I checked that out of the library quite a few times uh, didn't have my own copy really didn't have my own copy of anything of his but I did have 
the book Leaping Tall Buildings, which is that book Amanda bought for me uh, years ago. And I've been collecting signatures in it over the years. So what I did was I stood in line with that book. He was not charging for signatures, but I also bought a copy of Kill My Mother, which is his graphic novel, uh, one of his graphic novels that uh, a couple of the people in line were raving about. He was like, you know, you really should read this. This is really, it's really, really good. So I was like, okay, it was 20 bucks. I'm paying it directly to him. And it's one of those times where, like, usually I'm a cheapskate where it comes to trades. Like, I don't want to pay full price for stuff, but I have, it's like I break that rule when I'm buying it directly from the writer or artist or the person producing it. Like, I bought Rachel, I've bought Rachel Rising trades right off of Terry Moore's table and given him the money directly because, like, yeah, I want to support, support him and, uh, you know, that way I can get them signed too. Um, but, yeah, so I haven't read Killed My Mother yet, but I've heard great things about it. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's sitting in my bag right now. I will crack it open at some point in the next in the near future. The other person I bought some di- trades directly off of was the guy or the guys in the Valiant booth. Uh, this was weird. Um, Valiant, the the comic company, had a table. They had a booth. Uh, they were selling um, all their recent trades. So I wandered in, I started talking to one of the booth guys and what I, I said, you know, I only know Valiant from the nineties and it was nineties stuff. I never got into. Um, I'd heard good things about those comics back in the day, but you know, and then I had that one copy of Turok, but otherwise, you know, it's been a big blind spot. And I asked him, you know, I started talking to him about it and, you know, I, was, I said, you know, can we, you know, so I'm doing a podcast and he, he's like, well, you know, I don't really, I know if I can get on tape with you. There's, I probably got to talk to my, you know, this probably has to be cleared with somebody and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay. So I turned my recorder off. I didn't put him on tape and we talked for a little while and basically he gave me a sales pitch that would have been great material for, to be on mic for the podcast. And I actually bought a trade. I said, you sold me on a trade. I, I, I have no knowledge of Valiant. Where do I jump in? I said, if I want to get a feel for most of the characters and kind of choose from there. And he recommended a $10 trade called The Valiant, which collected a mini series. And I read it last week, and it's really well done. Um, it's this sort of... Uh, the, one of the main characters is the, the hero Eternal Warrior, and he's trying to defeat some sort of enemy that he's been chasing for years and centuries and millennia and he starts gathering he gets the band together you know some of the various valiant heroes and there's a big fight and it was just it was it was action it was well paced the art was a lot better than the old valiant that i remember um it's just very very well done and i may actually check out some other trades uh through in stock trades or or my lcs or throw a few digital issues on comiXology just to see how, you know, see what's going on with it. Um, especially since Marvel and DC have really not been setting my world on fire lately. Even with some of the newer stuff they have out, I've still not really that impressed. So I might see what Valiant has to offer in the coming months, and they're responsible for it. Too bad I couldn't get them on mic to say that. <laughs> what else, though? Well... I broke it down for everybody on my drive home. Okay, so I am currently traveling south on I-95 on my way home from Baltimore Comic. What about, you know, the funny thing is that I, I uh, as I was starting to hit lunch, I went back to, I, I met a friend for lunch uh, at the uh, Pratt Street Ale House, which back in the day was college together was a, was one of the two restaurants in Baltimore known as the Wharf Rat and um, because I was like I've been here before he said yeah this was the Wharf Rat uh, so I had a burger and, and it was expensive <laughs> it was it was good um, so Charlie and I met we talked to the baseball and, and shit um, but before I went to see him I went back to my car to drop off all the signing stuff so that I had enough to hold um, so I wasn't breaking my back trying to buy stuff today. And I found that rule of carry only what, take only what you can carry and don't be 
afraid to make more than one trip to your car, especially since I was parking about a, a block and a half away. It wasn't anything. Uh, the ride to and from the to and from the, uh, the parking garage to the convention center was uh, cake. It was, it was nothing. So I came back after lunch. Uh, I, I did a little shopping before lunch, and I came back after lunch, and it really just focused on that. Um, got, I think I got maybe one or two more signatures or something, but uh, some decent stuff. Um, got a couple of things, got something for Mike Bailey that he's going to have sent his way probably soon when I get the chance. Got a great, when I when I visited Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name's table, uh, he was selling prints for not a lot of money, so I bought a print of Wonder Woman for Amanda. Um, I got this gorgeous, uh, this hero, mod hero, uh, was it, was there, this, this company that does posters of superheroes in a very mod art, you know, art deco-ish type of, uh, very minimalist sort of design, and they had a number of really, really cool things, and one of them was, and they had two really, really great Superman ones, uh, there was a, there was a, there was a cool Batman looking one, there was a Nightwing and and uh, Batgirl one that was based on the Blade Runner poster, but I was like, nah, I don't really feel like anything like that, especially since I have all those Cliff Chang um, poster postcards and stuff. But, uh, so, I was flipping through, and there's some really cool X-Men stuff, and there was this great Teen Titans one that I almost got, that, there was my, this was my second choice, I didn't have, you know, the, the prints were about $20 a piece, and I was like, well, I, I won't buy one. Um, had I had the 50 bucks to buy three, I would have bought these three. There was one with the Titans, it was, it was in a, it was in a, it was in Browns. The Titans Tower was on the top, and then uh, beneath the surface was Terra, and she was kind of playing with the Teen Titans. It was, it was, it was cool looking. Then there was a travelish poster that says, uh, Metropolis, City of the Future, with Superman flying. And then, there was the one I got, which is Superman doing that sort of Atlas sort of pose, Atlas holding up the world pose, and he's holding up the globe. And the globe is from, is the New York World's Fair globe from 1964, the Metal Globe in the Story of Queens. And I was like, in Flushing, and I was like, I have to have this. This is so cool. This is just so... Um, Perfect. So I bought that. That was those are two big uh, acquisitions. Um, the uh, other one that I was pretty psyched about was that the book that I already uh, was the book that I mentioned um, earlier was a book for Brett by a kid, and it was really cool. Um, the name is escaping me right now. Cut this out. And put that in as a separate segment. Um, Alright, so, purchase, purchase, purchase. Okay, so, uh, I went by Charles Vess's table and bought his coloring book. Because, uh, really, because I wanted to... Um, I didn't have any... I don't have anything of his, but recently my students had read... Salmon number 19 in class because we had finished Red Summer Night's Dream and they loved it. They loved the art. They thought it was great. There's really, really good things to say about it. So I, I Charles vested the art. His table was very close to some of the other tables. I think they were next to Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. So what I did was go ahead and just bought the coloring book because I wanted to, you know, have something of his and something of a sign. And I told him how much I loved that issue and how much my students loved it and, and they really, you know, really got into it and uh, uh, he seemed really appreciative of it. Um, but, okay, so trades, these sorts of things. Uh, caught up a little bit more on my attempt to, to collect all the IDW for, or Marvel G.I. Joe Classic G.I. Joe trades. I have one and three through seven now. Um, I have, I picked up uh, a hardcover on the really on the cheap, the hardcover of the torso, but brought by Brian Michael Bendis. 
you know, um, which is a great, great piece I read it years and years ago. Uh, got a lot of back issues. I filled out a bunch of action comics that I was missing. Um, some old who's who. Some Tales of the Teen Titans, the reprints issues that I've been tracking down here and there in dollar bins when I can get them. Um, trying to think what else. Just a, and, and, and in some cases, just a sort of weird mishmash of movie tie-in issues and things like that. Finding finding anything for less than $2 seems to be tough. Um, in the past, the first year I was here, there were a lot of 50 cent boxes and there were a lot of dollar boxes. This year, in the last couple of years, it's been pretty consistent. I've gotten, I've, I've found, I've hit that one or two places where it's dollar boxes. I've done really well with them. This year though, um, one place I hit the $2 box for a few comics because they had really had some stuff I really needed. And then they had a bunch of other comics that were like $5, $3. And, and a lot of them were like, okay, you know, like they were specially priced. Like you would see in a comic shop, you know, here are wall comics and these sorts of things. Which I get. I mean, you're trying to be merchandising. And I will tell you, it is frustrating to have just started collecting the Ostrander Suicide Squad series like a year and a half ago. When now issues from that series are scarce. And a lot of them are going for an enormous amount of money. If Oracle is in any of the, if any of the big Oracle issues or anything uh, like the first appearance of Oracle or the two-part around like 4849 with the, the Joker, those are going for like sixty dollars. I mean, they're going for issue number one of Suicide Squad is a forty-dollar book. I got that out of, out of a quarter bin last year. Um, I was cracking up at how um, issue number 44 of Tales of the Teen Titans, which is the first appearance of Nightwing and the origin of Deathstroke, is a $40 book. Because I got that on the cheap, too. In fact, I remember um, having a... I was talking to the guy at the booth. I said, you know, I got that cheap. I, maybe I, I said, I'm glad I'm holding on to this. And the Deathstroke origin from issue two is going for upwards of 50 or 60 bucks and they, they just the, the first issue of course is going for 20 and I'm like wow well I think I made a joke I'm like well at least now I have beer money or something but it's kind of interesting to see at least some of the books that I have from my collection uh, going for at least a little bit of money I wound up taking pictures here and there of random things I spotted uh in the merchandise things because like I was looking at um I was I wanted to get a couple of toys for at least one for Brad or just for other people and couldn't find again can't find anything that's you know you're charging 25 bucks for a loose figure and five ten I'm like I don't want to play five, pay five ten bucks for a loose figure and and like one guy had this whole table of video games and stuff, and like, oh, cool Nintendo games, and they're like twenty-five bucks. Granted, some of them were in the uh, in the uh, original packaging and stuff, but at the same time, I don't know. It's and I'm it, this is me being cheap. I know there are a lot of people who pay a premium for like an old Superpowers action figure. Like I would really like to have the Dark Side action figure from Superpowers. It's such a cool figure, but I don't think I'm ever going to get it. I find it on the extreme cheap or something. But the comics were starting to surprise me, where it was like, here are the $5 comics, the $2 comics. And the, now, granted, the $5 comics are probably comics that should go for 5 bucks. A lot of Bronze Age stuff, a hefty amount of Silver Age, um, and some 80s and 90s stuff. The $2 com but the, it was the $2 comics I was annoyed with more because it was like, they were dollar books, easily dollar books, and you're just charging more. And, and again, you want to, you know, you want to make your money. I'm not gonna, but it, it was kind of discouraging when I was like, well, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. Um, I got at one point, um, I did find 
a couple of dollar bins though. One dollar bin, I was pretty pretty pumped to see that they had. Not only was it a dollar a comic, but it was fifteen comics for ten dollars. And I just looked. I was like, all right, challenge accepted. And I went through my poll list, which is on my um, phone, which is nearly dead, so I have it off right now, so you're not going to hear the lady. And when I hit the end of my, this is what I wanted to grab list. And I still had like five or six comics left. I just started flipping through the bins and pulling out random stuff that I was like, okay, I need to have this. Like, I got the last issue of World's Finest, which is probably absolutely awful, but it's the last issue of World's Finest. And I got the super, the action com- a beat-up copy of the action comics issue of The Wedding of Mr. and Mrs. Superman uh, that was drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Although I didn't have the thought to go back and have him sign it, I probably should have done that. But by then, I was kind of tired of standing in line for signatures. Um, I picked something up out of a dollar bin that I'm going to send to Michael Bailey. So I don't know if he'll, if he'll listen to this before I get it in the mail. So I won't say what it is. And I got... Um, and what was cool is that I just got... Uh, I was adding to my collection of, of all things, Amethyst Princess of Gem World. I found this showcase last year in a $5 uh, trade bin at my LCS and read it cover to cover. But the, uh, but the showcase only goes up to, I think it's issue 11 of what was the ongoing series. There was a 12 issue, there was, you know, there were the, there was a story in uh, Legion of Superheroes. There's a 12-issue miniseries. Then there's an ongoing. The ongoing then ends with a special. And then in about 1988-89, there is a four-issue miniseries. And then I think there's some new 52 stuff. But um, what I did was I managed to grab those higher-up issues, the ones that aren't the Crisis Crossover, which is the Crisis Crossover, which for years is the only issue of Amethyst, Princess of Gem World that I own. Uh, they're not easy to come by, so I, I found what I could and got a couple more, so I crossed those off. Um, you know, made my way through uh, a few trade paperbacks here and there, stuff, I, stuff that I'm I got Superman for all seasons. Um, a couple of other, a couple of the random trades, a couple of the brand new trades. I bought, uh, like I said, I bought Kill Your Mother off of Jules Pfeffer. And the trade, it's just, it's like one year you hit, one year you're like, I can't believe I'm getting all these good trades. I can't believe I'm getting all this good stuff. And another year, it's like, well, I'm really glad that I got the back issues that I got. And it's, you know, in the $5 trade bins, you, know, you can't look at gift horse in the mouth. You know, you're diving through them. And the worst thing about it is that you're trying not to bump into people. You're trying to be polite and nice. But, I mean, overall, everybody was, like, very, very cool. Uh, and, I, and I got some some halfway decent stuff. Uh, could have started collecting a run of V, the comic book. Maybe I will do that in the future. I decided not to. I decided to put money elsewhere. Um, but as, I, as, I, as I'm driving home now, um, and I left at about 5, a little after 5, after I uh, went to the Jules Pfeffer signing and I bought that poster, and I was like, you know... I think I was looking for one more booth, and, and there was a booth I had come upon earlier in the day that was selling uh, vintage movie theater programs from, from like, theater programs from, like, uh, famous movies. And they were... Between three to to twenty dollars a pop, depending on what the movie was and how old it was. I'm pretty sure they were all vintage. So the guys who had it either just had somehow purchased an enormous surplus of these things from like an old come on an old movie theater, or maybe he just had a collection of them or something. But 
Uh, the two, two, the two or three that I noticed, and and I was at the end of the con. I'm like, you know what? I might let me go back and buy one of them because they're just they're this. They were the, one of the ones that I was going to get was about five or six dollars. I had the money. I'm like, you know what? Let me go. I couldn't find the booth again. I just I and I was my head was starting to hurt. I'm like, you know what? I finally I made a couple of laps and I finally just gave up the ghost, to be honest with you. I was like, you know what? I, I can't. Um, I don't have the time. I, I'd like rather get home and, you know, it's probably not worth the money. I'm probably just going to put it away in a box somewhere anyway. But they were. They were these movies with, uh, you know, you flip them open, there's pictures from the movies. Uh, from what the guy, one of the guys the, the, who I was flipping through them next to said that the day before, on Friday, they had had more of them and they had the more iconic ones and they had everything from like Star Wars to Alien and things like that. Uh, there was a Lucasfilm one there. There was a, there was the um, movie theater program for Willow, which if it, I would have bought if it wasn't $10. I was like, that was a little rich for my blood. Uh, the other two, uh, there was, there were one for like, there was one for like every Rocky movie. There was one for Annie, which I'm pretty sure I had. And there was one for E.T., which I also may have had when I was a kid. I remember the time I went to see both of those movies because we saw them in the same theater. E.T. was being shown in this duplex in Patchogue called the Plaza Theater. I don't think it even is standing anymore. It closed down decades ago. For all I know, it still might be up, just abandoned. But E.T. was the first movie I remember seeing. And uh, my parents took me, and they said that I slept through half of it because they found out later that I was spiking fever. Um, and then the about a week or two later, my mom took me to see Annie. And, and I don't think I had any interest in musicals. I think it was just that was the other movie I was playing at that theater. I was like, I want to see Annie too. Like, because I was five and you, know, you want to see the other thing, you want to do everything. And I had a book about the movie Annie, and it wasn't very big, and I'm pretty sure that's what I got. Um, the other ones that I saw, uh, Superman 2, there may have been one for three, but Superman 2, which I was just like blown away by. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I think that was six. And then um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that was the other one where I was like, Ooh. There was one for Jaws 2 and Jaws 3D. Uh, there were some for uh, The Sound of Music. Um, a couple of random, random movies. It was like, I didn't realize they made this many of these and that they went all the way through the mid-80s. Rocky IV was, what, 85, 86? So um, that was a pretty cool booth, but I did not, I did not get anything. Uh, other th random things I got, I picked up issue one. I don't know if it's a if it's a one of a mini series or just a one shot of the movie adaptation of Blade Runner from Marvel. I picked up for a dollar. For a dollar, I also got the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation from Marvel and the Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock adaptation from DC, also in a dollar bin. I found random, like, Secrets of the Haunted House type of stuff, you know. There was some war stuff, you know, I, when, I, when I wanted to just grab, like, a, I grabbed, like, a random horror comic because I was like, this is old, it's from the 70s, and it's a dollar. So that was pretty fun to do. Um, and I... Contemplating spending a little bit more money in Artist Alley, but nothing was really knocking my socks off. And that is something I probably need to rectify. It's one of those things where you want to go up and down there, you want to support people, but at the same time, you're so overwhelmed by what you're looking at. You know, it's almost like I should do some research and plan it out. Uh, there were points in the night today I felt that maybe I was a little off my game, and there were points where I felt like, no, was, things were going really, really well. Especially when I did when I did go back and by to the um, to the car and came back, and by the end of the day, my shoulder was hurting again from how heavy my bag was. So I got a whole bag plus a whole like canvas shopping bag full of comics that I either brought with me or bought at the con, and that's a good thing, you know. I mean, granted, I save up a lot of money for this, you know. I I don't, I don't have the expense of a hotel room, 
Um, I'm paying for lunch and I'm paying for the tank of gas. Uh, and, you know, that's about it. Uh, and my, and, and uh, I get my, um, Jesus. And I get my uh, press pass and stuff. So, so yeah, I have the luxury of, of spending the money that I that I save up, and, and I've always been uh, I was always been happy I've been able to do that. So I'm gonna sign off now. Uh, go into my next segment and enjoy the rest of my ride home from the Baltimore Comic Con. Traffic's looking all right, and I'm actually going to stop off, make my annual stop at Krispy Kreme in Alexandria, get a dozen donuts and a cup of coffee, which can help with his headache, and uh, I will be back. So my takeaway this year was that I had a good convention, but it was I felt like I was missing something. I don't know, like I was off my game. I felt like I was running from place to place, skipping out on panels. I wanted to go just... Because I was trying to get other stuff done. I, I don't know. I, my shopping game felt off too. Like I felt I had to spend all my money. Or I didn't find a lot that I absolutely needed. But I found some stuff that was pretty cool. Um, it opened the door for me to buy stuff like uh, the prints that I mentioned. I got the Charles Vest coloring book. Which was awesome because we talked about Shakespeare in my English classes. Uh I hit this one place where he was like, there are a dollar of dollar comics. He said 15 comics for $10. I was like, game on and got some old, I got that, um, got an old Superman issue, got the action comics issue, uh, the, the, the wedding one with, uh, with the earth Two Clark and Lois marrying. I got, uh, some random licensed property comics like blade runner and Raiders of the lost Ark, some old, Teen Titans stuff to fill my to fill my to fill holes in my collection that sort of stuff, but the inattentive planner in me feels like I should have taken more time to plan things out and deliberately stuck to my schedule some more. Next year I'm going again. I'm thinking of actually bringing Brett, so I'll have a different angle for a convention episode. Bring kid with me for the first time, a young kid. He'll be he'll be nine years old, and he's handled Disney World so. Why not, right? And that's it. That's it for the Baltimore Comic Con uh, for the summer of 2015 as well. I'm not going to have a regular episode of Pop Culture Affidavit until December now. Um, I want to work on getting the rest of the 80 Years of DC Comics series out before the year's over because I've really fallen behind on that. In fact, there was one released earlier this week, Star Trek, and... If I'm on my schedule, you'll hear science fiction next week, you'll hear horror the following week, and then I'll do a couple in November. And by the time the next Pop Culture Affidavit episode rolls around in December, I'll have all but one or two episodes of that series done. So... If you're only listening to the show for the regular episodes, I'll see you in about two months. If you're listening to everything, I'll see you in a week for the next episode of 80 Years of DC Comics. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, and other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, show notes, and essays on other topics random in the world of popular culture can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Pop Culture Affidavit also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is the division of the Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. 
Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness. So it's closing on on 7 o'clock. I left Baltimore at about 5.11, 5.12 or so. Now I stopped off at Krispy Kreme to get my traditional... I'm going to stop off at Krispy Kreme and get a dozen donuts and coffee. However, now, I lived in Northern Virginia um, when after college. I After I graduated college, um, I spent the summer on Long Island, and then I moved to Arlington. I, and I lived in Arlington... Uh, first by myself and then with Amanda for six years, I believe. Um, almost no, five, five, five or six years. Um, and, uh, you know, we moved down to Charlottesville. And Charlottesville's a good uh, two, two and a half hour drive from Washington, D.C., where we were in Arlington. It's about an hour and a half from her parents. Every once in a while... You know, well, you know, I kind of miss it. I kind of miss going up to Northern Virginia. There was a lot of stuff up there. And you go up, and you come back, and you pull out on 95 after making a pit stop, and it's a f***ing parking lot. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I moved away from Northern f***ing Virginia. I can't stand this god place. Oh, my f***ing God. It's raining. What? It's a Saturday f***ing night. Who the hell needs to be on the road on a Saturday night in Northern Virginia? Does anybody stay home anymore? Oh my god. Oh my god.